welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Hey there, everybody. Today, I have a really special episode that is especially for this time of year when the veil between the worlds of the living and the dead become thinnest. So if you're not listening to this like October, November time, that's when we originally did this podcast episode. So my guest is Helen Morris. And in 2017, Helen experienced what she considers the greatest tragedy, yet also the greatest gift. The death of her gorgeous 18-year-old daughter, Tal, in a motor vehicle act. Tal let Helen know of her passing, which allowed her to view death from a completely different perspective. It also transformed her life completely as her spirituality grew exponentially. She accessed energy healing to heal herself of chronic conditions and started a podcast, which is how we connected, called The Beautiful Side of Grief, where she found beauty in her own grief or and have helped others navigate that journey. Helen is an empath who has found calm, peace, and joy in serving others. Helen and Tal, I just really want to welcome you both here today. Oh, Jen, thank you so much. We've been looking forward to this. And I say we because I know that my girl is very instrumental in being a part of my podcast. And so she's equally excited. And I'm sure she'll have a few things to say as we get this conversation underway. So thank you, Jen. Oh, my absolute pleasure. So I always love to start with you know, so you're an empath. What does that mean for you? What was your childhood like? What, you know, how did you realize you were an empath? Just kind of the the basics of of kind of like, let's start at the beginning. So can you give us just a little bit of backstory about you and who and your experience as a sensitive person? Sure. I probably didn't realize that I was an empath or a highly sensitive person until I was in my 40s. But once I understood, everything just started ticking um, off the boxes, checking off the boxes, because, you know, right from the get-go, I was in a family where I didn't feel like I fitted into that family at all. I used to even ask them if I was adopted because I was so different to the other members of my family. For a start, I was like highly sensitive and I could just pick up all the energies of what was going on. And I'd walk into a room and know something was off, but everybody would dismiss it and, you know, tell me to stop being so silly, you know, stop being so sensitive and just to get on with it. And I guess I grew up with this being a big feature throughout my entire life. I actually never really felt like I fit into anywhere, really. I was always like a bystander on the sidelines, looking at whatever was happening, picking up all the energies, assimilating all that, being highly intuitive. And I didn't realize I was highly intuitive because all of this, until I I sort of understood what it was all about, all of this was just, um, you know, natural to me. And I didn't realize that other people didn't feel the energies like I did, didn't read rooms like I did, didn't have that intuition or that just sense of knowing. And um, once I realized I had that, ah, now it starts to make sense. Um, Very tough road, very difficult childhood, teens, early 20s, until I say until I got to my 40s, it seemed like I just didn't know where I fit into this world. Yeah. I'm curious, how old was Tal when you realized this? Was she? Um, So she was about five or six. And That makes sense to me. Yes. And I guess together we were just, you know, teaching each other. Like I was, you know, without realizing that she had um, night terrors. Mm. 
And she had those from 18 months old to seven and a half years. And so we would go through these rituals where I would say she was protected by her angels, that the house was protected, the car was protected, you know, we were all protected. And just to try and ease her through that time, but it was chaotic but revealing at the same time. It was like I was already tapping into this unknown world uh, that was going to be revealed to me. Yes, yes. Well, and it seems like I, I've had a number of conversations with, with women about how having highly sensitive children really brings our own sensitivity up to the forefront um, and that there's this feedback loop, that there's this way that our children or our daughters mirror our own sensitivity and that you could be kind of, as you see the sensitivity and the awareness and the empathy in your in your child, suddenly you can sort of recognize it in yourself. So the fact that she was five or six when you started to become aware of this makes complete, it sort of tracks. The other thing I just want to say is that, you know, what you, the way you describe your childhood experience, I swear to God, we could have a script for the first <laughs> five minutes of this podcast because almost everybody has such an incredibly similar story that they didn't realize they were different, that they thought other people were sensitive like this too, but then they realized they weren't. But also just that they were constantly being told, you're being too sensitive, you're being silly, you're making too big a deal out of this. And I just, it blows my mind how persistent this particular piece of story is for all of us that you know, it's like living in this time, there's just been so little room for sensitivity. I'm also a great believer that we are born into the families that most need us to yes. face the challenges that we face. Like it was like extremely difficult and Yet highly revealing. And in hindsight, I always say that my family were the greatest teachers for me at that stage because they taught me how to be resilient. They taught me how to stand on my own feet and almost like buckle down, you know, hunker down and and deal with this. And, you know, because even to this day, you know, there's I'm still the different one. I'm still yeah. the one that they don't really understand, but I guess they tolerate more. <laughs> and <laughs> and I delve into things that I don't even talk to them about because it's so off the realm of their consciousness and right. awareness. Right, right. And that's what I think we are. That's what I think highly sensitive people are. We are operating on a plane that a lot of uh, the everyday people, and I don't mean this in any way unkindly, no. but I just feel like a lot of people are unconscious yes. to yes. what has been revealed to us. Yes. Well, and I've I've been thinking a lot about the word ESP, extrasensory, or the words ESP, extrasensory perception. And, you know, what I think for empaths, intuitives, um, you know, psychics and mediums, we all have amplified ESP. We all have, we all have a capacity for ESP that is greater than a lot of other people. And I believe we're all awakening to it, but that there are those of us, like it's almost like there's one thrown into every family that's like the canary in the coal mine who's feeling all the feelings. I'm struck by, as we're talking about this, as you were saying, you know, being raised in your family raised you to have a certain amount of resilience. And I'm imagining that that must have been an incredible gift when Tall died. I think my whole entire life was preparing me for that event. Yeah. And I say that because, you know, it was all these really tough lessons and that resilience. But it was also um, my reaction to hearing when whenever teenagers were killed in car accidents. And I used to just have this really strange reaction, like it was an overreaction. And I'll go, I think to myself, I don't know how those parents could possibly cope with losing a teen in a car accident. I mean, that must be the worst nightmare. And then lo and behold, it happens to me. Yeah. 
And yeah. it was almost like a coming home. It was like on a deeper level, I knew that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that deeper level was that was that it was very quickly revealed to me what that if if this was to happen to Tal, then I knew that this was going to happen to her. I'd signed up to that. That was part of my soul plan. Yeah. And if I'd signed up to that, then so had she. Yes. So, oh my gosh, it was unimaginably heartbreaking. Yet at the same time, I knew that it was in the order of things, mm-hmm. that this was meant to happen and there was no way I could change it but yeah. just that knowing certainly helped me navigate it in a completely different way. I think about two um, examples of sort of well-known people who've had sort of um, poetic deaths in the sense of like you just kind of know it's destined and um, Steve Irvin I think it's Irvin the snake guy from oh Irwin 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 yes yes his death was so in some way, just like so specific and precise. I mean, absolutely tragic, but to be to be impaled by a stingray, I, I you know, like there was just something so exquisite, like like it was befitting of who he was, at least. And I was thinking also about the um, musician Mark Bolin, who was the lead singer of T Rex. He was obsessed with cars. He wrote stories about. I mean, he wrote songs about cars. But he, my understanding is, he did not drive, and he ended up dying in a car accident. But it was sort of this like, you know, there's just this really fascinating way that sometimes our deaths are just these poetic deaths in the sense that you can almost see the the, like the universe just kind of planning these things out. But certainly it doesn't make it any less heartbreaking and tragic. But I want to go to the piece that you mentioned in your bio about the fact that when Tal died, she gave you a message very quickly. Can we talk about that? I'd love to hear. Yeah, definitely. Let's step back a a wee bit because we were just about to, or we did move home. We moved Mm -hmm. into a new home and we were supposed to do that the following weekend. But for some reason, and I don't even know how this happened, but I decided to do it a week earlier. And so I packed up everything and got us there. And Tal was so annoyed with me because she'd arranged a surprise with her friends that they were going to shift me instead of me doing most of the work myself. So I remember her being so cross with me shifting earlier. But we were moving into this place, this beautiful home in the country, um, lots of room. It was just like five minutes from town, yet we had the country living. Tal could have a, a, a cat, so she was so excited to be able to go to the SPCA and get a rescued cat. And, you know, so we had lots to look forward to. And we had only just shifted into the home on the Sunday we finished shifting. And then on the Wednesday was her accident. And so I know, I know. And I was supposed, we were supposed to meet for dinner. And so I gave her a call because I was running a little bit late from work and I thought she was at home. And so I said, well, shall we meet at home or shall we meet in town? Because I knew she had to then go on to work over in, you know, a suburb or a city about 20 minutes away from us. And she went, hi, ma'am. No, 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 no. I'm just leaving Napier now. She said, um, you know, let, I'll meet you at home because I need to pick up my uniform. And by the way, go check out my room. It looks amazing. And so I don't know how we finished off that phone call. I, I imagine that. Okay, darling, you know, I love you. See you soon. You know, that typical thing. And that phone call was actually two before she died, as it turned. And as I was driving out of work, there was this, you know, sunstrike that the sun just burst through the clouds. And I remember thinking, holy heck. And then we believe that that was the same time that Tal was born and got stuck you know, the sun. Oh. And so ended up with her wheels a little bit too far to the left. There was a hulking great big um, drain there, ditch over a meter high. And so she overcorrected. Mm. And, you know, that's 
caused her accident. Right. But also at that exact same time, my sister who lived in the same region as I did, her daughter had this excruciating stomach pain, just as, and Margie, remember, my sister Margie remembers, you know, the sun bursting through. So it's really strange that, you know, we all connected with that sunstrike, you know, and then that coincided with the time Tal died. So what she did is like, she came to me as soon as she knew that she had transitioned she came to me because I was busy unpacking a box and I was just overcome with this feeling of dread. Mm. And I remember walking out to the kitchen, looking up at the clock and going, where are you? Where are you, baby? And I just wanted to hop into my car and go and find her. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know which way she would be coming home to me because there were several ways. she. So instead, I then picked up the phone and tried to call her, tried to call her, you know, she didn't pick up. It just went to answer phone. Then I called her friend who I knew had the location of Tal on her phone. They both tracked each other and that went to voice message. And so I cried leaving a message. Now I don't cry, mm -hmm. but I cried saying, I think something's happened to Tal. When you get this message, please call. She phoned as I was speaking to the police and I didn't have my glasses on and I couldn't pick up the call, but she sent me through the location of where Tal was. And so I said to the police, hang on a moment, um, I've got the location of her vehicle, so just bear with me. And so I, I you know, I enlarged and found it and I said the name of the road. And they said, just one moment. And whereas before, when they put me on hold, I could hear the background noise. This time there was dead silence. And I just, and then they came on the phone and said, look, yes, you know, we can confirm this and that we've closed the road off. Um, you just stay with the, where you are because you can't get near the accident. And, um, and we'll give you a call, you know, shortly. We'll update you. I don't know exactly what they said, but I knew when I hung up, like hell, I'm staying put. Mm -hmm. So I phoned the hospital to check for any incoming ambulance. And they said, cheerily, no, 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 nothing incoming. Then I, I Googled, I Googled. And within the hour, it was up on Google that there was a fatality between a truck and a car on that exact same. And I thought to myself, well, you doesn't take a rocket scientist to know who that fatality is. And of course, that was my beautiful girl. So she'd come to me to let me know. And then just several minutes later, there was a police car in my driveway. And we used to have this ad on television, like this, the police hopping out of the car and coming up and knocking on the door. And I just went, no, 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 not my beautiful girl. But yeah. I knew. I knew she'd come to me. I just. And when you say she came to you, how that? Well, I just knew she was with me. I knew. Yeah. I can't explain what it was, but it was this knowing. But the, it was this knowing ramped up to the nth degree. And she was yeah. giving me signs. You and like, feel yeah. And she yeah. was giving me a picture, uh, you know, and I don't see pictures, but I know. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. again like this knowing. And she was ticking off a checklist. Like, Mom, I've done everything I need to do. And I was going, no, no, we just got to the good part, <laughs> you know. And um, gosh, and, you know, and then there were lots of coincidences and lots of things that came out in the following days. And, like, she had to go to the coroner, and that had to be out of town. And I just knew I needed her to be with me. And as soon as her casket her coffin came back into the house it was like this incredible golden light came with her and mm -hmm. you mentioned to me a golden yeah. light yeah well, every that, time I tune into her I get this sense of, of just just this amazing golden dawn yeah. Yeah. yeah and it was like that was her coming home to me and yeah. she was where she needed to be we needed to be together 
And it was like she was telling me, I'm never leaving. And then she just cocooned in this wealth of love. You know, it was, I can't describe it, but it was just like this being enveloped in like this beautiful, beautiful cocoon of love. Mm. And she did that for six months and she just gradually just released, released, released. When she knew that I was in a position to be able to cope yeah, with not having her. And so she kept directing me like, mom, you know, you've got all the tools already. You know, let's not make this all about, you know, sad, you know, and, and she would put songs like the same song every time I hopped in the car. What was and that the, song? Oh, it was Harry Styles' sign of the Uh-huh. And if you see the lyrics, you just know she was sending me a signal and yeah. she was sending me a message every single time. And and then she was just like, you know, I went to a clairvoyant medium, a show that was in our area six, six weeks after she died. And I was getting Sue to sign the book at the end and she she just um channeled tal automatically and auto wrote in the book so the message was from tal you know like i'm never leaving you mum. i'm always with you and and that confirmed but also sue channeled you know like the whole accident verbatim about how it had happened i didn't say a word and she just kept coming through with all these images and that my dad had passed and and that he was with her and you know that all all of these signs that just made so much sense and so I just had the most incredible incredible reaction to her dying like it was the worst yet she was opening me up to Mm -hmm. the best as well and it's so hard to explain the both the dichotomy of yeah of yeah. this but she was just saying almost like oh not almost like she's telling me get it right mom <laughs> she was telling me I can do more for you from the other side than what I have and she did a lot in the 18 yeah yeah so I keep on thinking about the cat and just wondering I'm yeah. imagining did you guys get to go to the did you guys get a cat or did that not get to happen well I said or did you her. end up getting a cat later because she wanted the cat she wanted the cat but yeah. we didn't get it I said to her as soon as we get some of these boxes unpacked and get a bit more settled We'll go and get the cat. You choose mm-hmm. the cat. We'll go and get the cat. Now, that's an interesting story because yeah. the SPCA was just down the road from us. And so I went there six weeks, about the same time, six weeks after she passed. And I went in and there was this cat in this cage in reception. And I just was instantly attracted to this. And this they said, well, she'd been um, bullied by the other cats. And so they put her in there so that they could give her some peace. And she was a really, you know, highly strong. She was a bit, you know. And so I said, well, can I cuddle her and just see, you know. And they said, oh, she doesn't cuddle very easily. But she came straight to me. She just oh, came straight and cuddled into me. And it was just like I knew. And then I popped it back into her cage. And I thought, oh, I better go and have a look at the other cats. But really, I had no interest in them whatsoever. It was just a curse look and I came straight back to her and I said this is a one this is a one that's you know coming home with and yes this was Tal's cat yeah and oh my gosh and you know already Tal had started to work her magic by teaching me energy healing so you know so this cat was so timid and so skittery she just went and hid behind furniture when anybody came to the door so You know, so I just asked her if she would allow me to work on her and I did some energy healing on her, just release some of these emotions of that made her so fearful and afraid. And before you know it, you know, she was just starting to cuddle in and she would, you know, work her way under the covers with me and it was like Tal cuddling me. It was like she was saying, I'm right here beside you, Mama. 
Yeah. I'm never leaving you. You know, it yeah. doesn't matter where you go, I'm coming with you. And that cat was part of the journey. And interestingly, when I went to leave Hawke's Bay, which was where I was living, I had had my sister and my brother-in-law and my niece living with us as their new house was being built. And it was just like this cat was a healer as well, because she would hop onto my sister's lap and just purr and just exude this love to my sister, who, which I knew my sister needed. Yeah, you know, my sister was brought up. We were just all brought up so so resilient, but so separate to each other, and so okay, I'm gonna face this world, and no matter what. And she had so many shields up. And I just thought, wow, you can work a magic on her. So I actually left left the region. It sounds funny, but I knew it was right to leave my quizzy healing them, giving them the love that they need. And yeah, so. <laughs> I was going to ask you what you named her. So quizzy? Quizzy, inquisitive. Inquisitive. Quizzy. Oh, what a wonderful name for her. And what kind yeah. of cat was she? Oh, she was just this beautiful, like gray um, stripes. She had unusual stripes on her. And I think they actually dated back to Egypt. Egypt mm-hmm. and, and, you know, Cleopatra comes to mind. Mm-hmm. And and it was, she was just beautiful. Oh. Now, I'm not good with breeds and things like that, but she was our cat. And Wonderful. Yeah. yeah, that's all that mattered. <laughs> that is all that mattered. Yeah, yes. I was... As you were telling the story, it was like, I could just feel how I'm so glad you got that cat because it feels like that was when you said she had ticked off all the boxes and had done all the things. The one thing she hadn't done was gotten a cat. But she she just knew. It's like Tal, you know, just days before her accident, she'd come home so excited. She was working at this really lovely restaurant and called the Emporium and she came home so excited she said okay mum I've booked us a um, table and it's in the corner out of the way so we can't be disturbed because we're going to plan how I'm going to get to Costa Rica and the reason she wanted to go to Costa Rica was like that was always on the bucket list but she'd amped it up it was like she finally knew what her life purpose was going to be. And she was an extremely good athlete. And and so she was going to do these outward bound leadership courses in Costa Rica. And that's what we were going to plan. And the fact that, you know, she told me later, the fact that she just decided that and knew what her life's purpose was, was ticking off another box. And she just got her first raise from the organization. So that was another box ticked off. And I swear, when I told her bosses that, um, unfortunately, you know, because she was due to work that night, well, when I phoned up and, you know, said, hey, she's not going to work tonight, something's happened to her. I didn't know what at that stage. And then when I phoned back and confirmed it, they closed the restaurant. They closed the place down straight away. And then there were 40-plus staff who came to her funeral because they couldn't decide who should stay behind, and they didn't feel anybody should stay behind. She had made such an impact. In three months, she worked there on the whole entire organization. And that was Tal. Everywhere she went, she made an impact on people. Yeah. And we had hundreds of people at her funeral. And it was like, oh my gosh, darling, look at the impact you made on people's lives. Yeah. And it was across the board. Yeah. 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 Well, and you know, that piece of look at the impact you've made in people's lives, I think, I mean, she's 18 years old. And she's yeah. already had this ability to connect with so many people. And I think I think it's really sad that we have funerals after people go. Because I think that the thing about a funeral is that it's one of the few places where you really get to understand what kind of impact you've had in the world. And I wish we had more opportunities to let people know how much, how significant they've been before it's too late. 
Um, I see. I see. Yeah. Before their e, at least their their conscious living mind has the ability to appreciate it. Because I think the body getting it was very involved in that. It was a celebration of life rather than a funeral. I didn't yeah. even wear black. I I wore this um, white dress with a yellow you know, white daisies with yellow centers on it. And I walked into the store that morning of her funeral and then chose that. And it was just like it was all meant to be. And then I went to a cafe because I wanted to speak about her. I didn't want anybody to talk about her because I knew her the best. I mean, that, like, you know, her friends spoke about the impact. But, you know, as far as the main eulogy, I spoke. Because I, you know, is even though it was the hardest thing ever, I knew Tal. I, I knew her in a way other people didn't, and I wanted to share that. And yeah. she even had a primary school teacher from the area I'm living now, which was is, is about three hours away from where we were living at the time, come down to the funeral when she knew about it because – even at that stage, Tal had made such a you know. yeah, yeah. I mean, she's made an impact. <laughs> yeah. She, I, I met her on the other, you know, and mm. now that she's over on the other side, and she's still. I mean, her presence is so palpable yeah. and strong and amazing. Yeah, I'm curious, actually. You know, in having conversations over the years with people whose um, beloveds have crossed over and who still have a connection with them. One of the things I've actually seen as being a pressure that people seem to get is the the moving on thing or the yes. having like sort of this like because some people do not have the ability to be in communication with with the dead, that there are these people who sort of think that like this is a coping thing. Um, but that they're and and that they have a lot of expectations like I've and I've seen this around grief in general, like there's like a timeline, like people are like, OK, it's been a year. Come on, come on, move along. You know, like I'm wondering if you had that experience that if you got pushback for the beautiful side of grief. No, never, ever. In fact, it seems to attract people because I think there are many people out there who feel like me, that as sad as it is to lose somebody, it's a reality of life. It you is know, a reality And we die. Yeah. And we don't get, it's in no natural order. We don't get to choose how that's going to play out. And I think, look, you know, I still grieve for this beautiful girl today, like in what we could have had, you know, yeah. me being a grandma to her children and... Yeah. All of the seeing her, you know, get married and all of those wonderful things, you know, and just knowing what she would have made of her life because that would have been exciting in itself. However, you know, she left me with a truckload of memories in those 18 years that I value and I hold on to and I treasure. And she also guided me with so many tools along the way to both respect that yes I'm going to have moments where I feel immensely heartbroken still that she's not with me but on the other side let's embrace her living 18 years in a way that neither of us imagined and 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 you know that when she says she could do more for me on the other side for the first time in my life, because I was very much being extremely hypersensitive. I was a perfectionist. That was my way of controlling my world that I didn't have any control over. Mm. And, you know, but that set me up to be this, oh my gosh, I said, I think it was a tough life to live because I had so many expectations of myself, mm-hmm. of others, and I was always trying to reach this plateau. So being Tao's mom, she was hard. She wasn't an easy child. And so she constantly pushed at those boundaries. And she actually 
enabled me to start letting them go, to find the fun side in life, to laugh at myself, and actually to set boundaries for myself where I could say no to people instead of yes, 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 I'll do everything. Mind you, she volunteered me for quite a bit. Just <laughs> <laughs> So she didn't always help that. <laughs> but, you know, so it was that. But then after she died, that ramped up to the nth degree because I say very early in the piece when I was traveling to the beach, a beach which is this beautiful strip of land which has just got an amazing energy to it. And that I is and still is my healing place where I could just go and just sit with what had happened. And on the way you know, I was listening, I downloaded, you know, podcasts, and I happened to be listening to an energy healer. And then he actually had an offer where I could download his energy healing platform and release emotions. And so when I got to the beach, that's what I did. I started muscle testing, teaching myself muscle testing, and I released so much that was holding me back in this life. I released a lot around the grief and the unworthiness I felt and the not fitting in and all those emotions that are wrapped around that and being a perfectionist and all the fears I had. You know, I just restarted releasing all that. And I remember reaching a place where I felt so calm and relaxed and at peace. And I thought, wow, I have never, ever felt this in my life. And so then I started releasing, well, I don't care what anybody else thinks about me. I am just going to do me. And however that looks, the worst has happened to me. Nothing worse can happen to me. Mm -hmm. So I don't care anymore. And it's not like I didn't care, but I didn't care about what other people thought about me. And I allowed myself to step into being my truly authentic self, yeah. which, of course, led to the podcast. Yeah. Well, in it, the words you divested comes to my mind, um, like you divested of all of the extraneous stuff. You divested of all of the things that don't that just don't matter. Yeah. You know, I think about that Janis Joplin, you know, yeah. like freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. And I really do think it's like when you have been through the absolute worst thing that you could possibly go through, then there's a courage that can come from that because it's like, you've been through it and you're still here. Okay. So now what are you going to do with the rest of your one wild and precious life? Like, you know, and so it makes sense that you would say, okay, I'm going to go for it. And, and it's not, it's not that you don't face other challenges because, no. you know, I had another enormous challenge where, whereby I had just met somebody through work and I hadn't been in a relationship really for about 20 plus years and so this was a big deal to me I'd really mm -hmm. got myself in a good place where I was ready to have somebody in my life and you know a partner and like that and so I met this wonderful wonderful guy through work we just got talking and you know just built up that connection and then we decided you know let's give it a go. And so we started developing that relationship on a whole different level, but we didn't want anybody at work to know. And then we'd only like four weeks into, you know, that whole journey of deciding that that's what we were looking at. He was going on a camping trip and so excited about it. And I was so happy for him. And the first night on that camping trip, he was, and so here I am, then getting told, and because nobody knew about it, oh my gosh, it was just like, I had to navigate this a whole, you know, grief in a whole different form again. Yet what I'd been through with Tal allowed me to deal with that. I knew I had the tools to deal with that. Yet what it gave me was a freedom to grieve for her as well as aid the way that I I hadn't allowed myself with Tal. I was so busy keeping everybody else 
all her friends and that making sure that they were okay and making sure everybody else was okay that I never really fully allowed myself to grieve so then she was saying okay you need to mum so yeah I did yeah and so this was just over a year ago so again it's not that you're exempt from huge trials in your life once you reach the stage of freedom and letting go it's that you are again more prepared on a level that you're grateful for and uh you didn't expect you know yeah. to be able yeah. to yeah face these well, things so many of the things you just said like one thing that comes to my mind is that it makes sense to me from just the stages of grief and the way that grief works is that like we are so numb at the very beginning that we do have a tendency to do these things where it's like we're just kind of like going through the motions and putting it all together and in grief when i was studying when i was in seminary i learned the term compounded loss like the idea yeah. that like whenever You have one grief is always compounded on the previous griefs, but it makes sense to me that like you were in that shock bargaining, um, you know, complete awe stage when Tal died, that when he died, you could finally, like there was space for you to grieve. That makes complete sense. You know, and what I learned was that, and what I highly respect now is that There are no norms and there are no stages. I didn't go through anger. I didn't go through denial. I accepted Mm -hmm. right from the get-go that this beautiful girl was gone and she was never coming back in the form that I knew. Yeah. And so there were lots of that that I didn't experience. And so what that allowed me to do was to recognize that you know, just like everything, we seem to be conditioned about how we should do funerals, how yes. we should talk about death, how we should talk about our emotions following. And there's some people that are so conditioned that it's a hard and fast way. And, you know, and one thing that really is a trigger is that, you know, I often see in, in Facebook and groups and things like that, where people get so angry that somebody said, oh, I just lost my grandma, you know, and, you know, I, I I know how you feel about losing your daughter. Well, to me, I was grateful for those comments because yes. that was the only level that they could relate to exactly. this loss on. Yet so many people get upset about that. How can you compare your grandma who lived a great life to, you know, 80s, 90s? How can you compare that with losing a child? You yeah. can't. You well, can't. Well, of course you got. But at the same time, grief is, grief is grief. And people don't always have the words. So they... right they reach for the closest thing that they can relate to. And and then often, like people would come up to me and I could see their eyes, like, what the hell am I going to, excuse me, what, what am oh, I going to say? Where? <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. You know, what the heck am I going to say? There is nothing I can say. And I recognized that. And I used to just say, there is nothing you can say. Let's just hug. You know, because I felt those action spoke volumes more than words ever could. More than words ever could. Yeah. And I think so often people get themselves caught in trying to say the right thing and uh, sometimes really put their foot in it. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. Put your foot in it. Is. Yeah. I mean, it's better to reach out and make a connection than it is to to just avoid it. I've also seen that people, the stage or the people who are just in that bitter grief where they are really angry, where it's sort of like, how dare you compare this person to that? And I had a situation many years ago where some dear friends of mine had lost their dog and they were profoundly heartbroken. Um, This was a very soulmate of theirs. And another friend who had lost their spouse a couple of years prior to that was really bitter that they were so verklempt about the loss of their dog. And I'm kind of like, it's just like grief, as you were saying, grief shows up in really weird ways and grief shows up in very unpredictable ways. And in this person's case, 
part of the way that their grief is manifested is in this kind of like, my grief is bigger than yours. Oh um, gosh. You know, my grief yeah. is the worst grief ever. No nobody comparison. Could yeah. Nobody could ever know how bad. And, you know, I mean, I, from my perspective, it seems like the best thing we can possibly do is grant all of ourselves mercy and grace because yeah. grief is unpredictable. The way I look at yeah. and I, do, I don't know how others look at it, this is just my personal opinion, is that what grief does is it opens Pandora's box. Yes. So whatever you've experienced in your life then becomes open game for when you experience grief because often it's so, like you say, so mind-numbing and earth-shattering and, you know, it's like you never, you can't explain it. No. So what it does is it just rips you open raw and wide and whatever you've been suppressing repressing you know hurting in the past about that's fair game to come out and be expressed in the grief that you're facing and yeah. that's why there is no right or wrong solution for dealing with grief it's yeah. it's like Let's support wherever you are, however you are on your journey. And that's why I interview across the board many types of grief. And it's not even to do with loss sometimes. It's about the grief of losing your job or, mm -hmm. you know, or the home that you've always, you know, thought you would have and and now suddenly that is gone or the grief of actually being a parent at home looking after these beautiful children. But actually, who are you now? You were this, you know, important person in your job prior to having kids yes. and now you're at home talking yes. to kids and who are you? And yes. you grieve that. So, you know, grief shows up in so many different forms. And that's what I love about the platform I have. Yeah. I'm thinking that one thing I've also noticed when it comes to grief, and this is something that people don't really talk about, but I've seen consistently in conversations again and again, is that grief is exhausting. Oh. And particularly death, the grief of a death is really exhausting. And there's a bone weariness, there's an exhaustion, there's a tiredness that yeah, and, and the thing is that true grief, you can't suck it up and just like muscle your way through necessarily. Like, like there are points where it's like the body knows what it needs to do and it's going to do it. Our soul is going to do what it needs to do. And it's unpredictable, but also I've definitely seen that it is very. So I didn't experience that to that degree. And I think it's like I mentioned earlier, because I was so in coping mode. Yeah. And I guess, you know, that's where my whole life again had prepared me. It was like, yeah. okay, you've been knocked down again. You know, this time, you know, you're really going to have to dust your knees off because this is a biggie. But you can do it. So just get up, get on. And and so I was never a person that just shut the door, pulled the curtains and hunkered down. I was still very, very functional. And again, because I'm a bit of a soloist, I just thought I still had a lot of stuff I needed to organize and arrange and sort. And so there was no time for me to feel my to really sink into it and I think and I completely understand when people do don't get me yeah. wrong but you know that's where when it happens and that's why now interesting interesting because I mentioned to you off air yeah that I've gone through a you know a health issue that has caused me just to you know hand in my resignation for my job which yeah really is something that came out of the blue and you know I wouldn't have done lightly but every single message I get is you need this time to take care of you to heal to 
take that time. So I was in enforced sick leave because I had something going on that I could not do anything about. And I tried and I tried, but it was like I had no option but to take that time out and take. And I just think that's the universe saying, okay, you've done it for all of these years. It's six years now and, um, you know, about 14 months after Adrian. So I think now I can allow my body just to take that time, exactly what you mentioned, and hunker down. Yes, yes. Well, and as we've been saying, it is unpredictable. There is no way of knowing it. You know, there's, we're right at that point where I'm going to, where I say, oh my goodness, Helen, I can't believe how fast the time has gone by. But I really want to draw out something you said earlier, because, you know, like you basically were like, like, we're all going to die. And that, you know, and, and I was thinking about this, it's like, it's sort of funny how we treat death as if it's this big surprise, (laughs) when it is the one guarantee that we get I mean, I don't know if you ever heard the joke that um, life is a sexually transmitted, fatal sexually transmitted disease. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. That, you know, it's it just it's so there's a way in which as I'm listening to this, it's almost like we need to embrace the inevitability of grief and the inevitable because it's inevitable. It is, you know, it's not something we can avoid. It's not something it's not something that we can we can escape or we can if we if we just like do all the right things somehow we're going to live forever it's like i was thinking it's like we will experience death upon death upon death until one day we die and then you know but that that's the way it works and it's sad to me that we live in a world where and tall, I can feel her. She's like, <laughs> duh. <laughs> like, yeah. Also, like, why are you, you know, like, the, like the, just the perspective they have, which is so different than ours, because they're just kind of like, it's not that big a deal. It's not, no. it's not nearly as hard as you make it to as human beings. It's kind of like, it's just the nature of time, the nature of things, the flow of all that is true and good and right. I think what we probably need to be doing is having these open, honest conversations about death and and accepting that there is going to be a point, a final point at some stage. We never know what is around the corner. And so let's have these conversations so we're prepared for it. For the reason is that are you living the life? that you want to be living here and now. And I think this is the biggest thing. So for me, my absolute passion is to be interviewing, to hear their stories, to share their stories, to then help others. That I feel is my purpose, my mission. I, you know, everybody has always mentioned um, I'm full of wisdom. And I feel like that was my gift in this lifetime And I didn't realize, I thought, again, everybody knew what I knew and that. So sometimes when I say something, people go, oh, my gosh, you're like a sage. And I go, really? (laughs) I don't feel like that at all. (laughs) However, what that's telling you is that if you're stuck in a dead-end job or a or you're having issues with your family or your marriage or whatever, really stop and take check. You need to be able to live your authentic self. You need to be have the freedom to be exactly who you are and to express that without censure, as long as you're not harming anybody else. And I think that's what the gift of facing up to our mortality allows us to do. Yes, that just the facing our mortality, I think, is the to giving ourselves permission. And yes, yeah, yeah. You know, without the conditions, so many people are living by other people's rules that have been imposed upon them as children and the best meaning and well-meaning situations and circumstances. However, if they if you are not totally aligned with those beliefs, then you need to look at what do you what is important to you and then be living by those beliefs and values what's the worst that can happen (laughs) right 
Well, and my husband and I will do that. Like when, when the anxiety is really taking over for me, he'll, uh, you know, he, we, we run the scenario and he always is like, what's the worst thing that will happen? And I, I will buy, I just cut to the chase and I'm like, I'll die. And he goes, and then, and I'm like, and I'll be okay. Because it's sort of like we push it and push it and push it until ultimately we come back to source. And for me, there is something really just like remembering, like, what's the worst thing that can happen? I will, you know, that I can die. And then, oh, so Helen, this is really is that point where it's like, we've yep. got that, that time, sure. this conversation has been so rich. I could talk to you for hours about all of this and, and tall with comments from the peanut gallery coming on boat, coming to you and me with this. Although I think she's been pretty pleased with the conversation there, but a couple of times where I checked in and we're like, I'm like, do you want me to ask anything else? And she's just like, no, you're doing good. Keep going. <laughs> um, although she, the cat was an important question. Yes. But, um, yeah. you know, is there anything else that feels really important to share before we... Again, I would just say on the theme that we were just talking about is that, you know, we're all here. You know, just look at life's challenges as 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 the path to knowing what your purpose is going to be. Why are you here? And, you know, you totally have control of that. It all comes from within. And keep looking within for your own healing, physically, mentally, emotionally. Look inward and just ask yourself, what is this experience teaching me? And then make peace with it. It's okay that you're going through shit times and that you sometimes have no control over but what you do have control over is the way you think about those experiences. And that is so, so important because, you know, once you start thinking like that, the solutions come and you make really good decisions. So we all should be heading toward what we're here for. We all have a gift. It's no accident that we're here. We're perfect as we are. So let's go out, embrace that and do it. Awesome. So, Helen, there are two more things. As I mentioned to you before, I love to do a little bit of time travel because I really believe that podcasts exist outside of time. They are listened to for many, many years, but there's a river of time. And it's like that broadcast is like a stone that drops in and ripples both ways. And so I really believe that we can send a broadcast, that we are sending a broadcast back to another part of ourselves, to another time, another place. So my question to you is, who is the Helen that we are sending a message back to? When are we sending a message back to? And what is the message? What, like, what, what is the transmission that you are going to share? Like, what, just, just we're going to talk to her. What do you say? The message I'm wanting to share is that I believe we all have greatness within. And so I would like to go back to the time where I most felt unworthy and not believing that I was deserving of greatness and greatness to serve others especially. And I would most like to go back to that and release that. Now, this time goes very far back at me. I feel like um, it goes back through several lifetimes and mm. and I feel like I just need to release and know that, you know, I've always used an analogy in this lifetime is that, you know, the people that pick up our rubbish are so deserving of our gratitude and our thanks and they are equally worthy of recognition as a person who is our bank manager or, you know, in yes. in that so-called elevator position. I believe no matter what we're doing, how we're doing it, that is our role and we're all worthy and deserving. So I want to go back to those times where I felt less. Yeah. And what do you say to her? It's like, you know, you would deserve, like I see this little flower girl, you know, a child in the cold, ragged, selling flowers and not feeling worthy because people just dismiss her or ignore her or, you know, she's cold, she's not, you know, she doesn't have the basics in life. Yeah. And I want people to say that, you know, she is worthy and 
and that she is doing a good job. You know, there are people who need the flowers to make a change in their life. So she's providing an essential role. So she needs to stand tall and, you know, just wrap that shawl around her a bit stronger and shine her light because she has a beautiful light within, but it's her own self that dims that light when she doesn't feel what she is doing is enough. Yeah. So I'm really hearing you are enough. You are enough. You you are enough. Just as you are, shine your light. You belong here. You deserve to be here. You are worthy. That was beautiful. So, Helen, final question. How do we find your podcast? How do we get in touch? So if you just Google, good old Google, the beautiful side of grief, that will take you um, to where you can find it. It's on so many platforms. Uh, You can um, also go and have a look at my website, which is healing with the number two, the letter B, the letter U, healingtobeyou.com. So that's H-T-T-P-S colon forward slash forward slash healingtobeyou.com. That's got a lot of information in it. And of course, you know, just search on Facebook. Uh, and also my Instagram is under healingtobeyou. And uh, yeah, so just connect either way. Send me an email if you want to reach out. I'm always happy to hear from anyone. Awesome. Well, and if you come over to empathicmasteryshow.com, you can find all of the links for Helen in the show notes. Um, I'll also include the interview that she did with me on her podcast in our show notes as well, so that you guys can catch Helen on both sides of the microphone. Helen, this conversation has just, and Paul, this conversation has been so beautiful and rich and lovely. Thank you so much for sharing your truth, your candor, your heart. This has been beautiful. Jan, we're so grateful to have this platform to share this story. And you you are such insightful, beautiful questions, which I think, you know, needed to be asked. So I'm really grateful to you for doing that and for giving me this time. So my heart to you and our heart to you. Thank Mm. you. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to empathicmasteryshow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time. Hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.